Welcome to another episode of Empire State of Cannabis, uh, coming to you at the end of November, mid-November, actually, uh, right before Thanksgiving. And uh, today we have um, world-famous former senator, former New York State Senator, uh, Craig Johnson. Craig, thanks for coming on. World-famous. Um, okay, so ego has now increased immensely. And I will tell my wife, you've called me world famous. <laughs> well, <laughs> thank you for that. From what I understand, actually, your, your wife is even more world famous, though, than you. Correct. Especially in the in the cannabis industry. That is absolutely, I follow her. Awesome. Yes, I take my lead from her. <laughs> well, thanks for having me. Awesome to be here. Yeah, absolutely. And so, so you have an interesting history in the state Senate. So you were the, the first senator to win in the, the seventh district there in over 100 years, right? Yep, that's right. And so, so, so tell us about the district. That's uh, Hempstead, right? North Hempstead. For those that are not from Long Island, give us a little bit of background. What does that district look like? Uh, First of all, how dare they say they're not from Long Island? But uh, <laughs> you're up in the in, in in the beautiful upstate New York, I guess technically because it is beyond Bear Mountain. Um, <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> right. So uh, the the my former district, the seventh senatorial district, um, is based is a Northwest Nassau County. So, um, in the North, it's the Port Washington and Great Neck peninsulas. Um, if you've read Great Gatsby, East egg and West egg, mm -hmm. um, and then you work your way South, uh, down through, um, areas like Mineola, uh, the Williston's Williston park, East Williston, it goes all the way over to Hicksville in the east and to the west. It goes up to the Queens border with Elmont uh, areas like Floral Park, South Floral Park. So it really is three towns. It's the entire town of North Hempstead. It's got certain portions of the town of Hempstead and it's also got a little bit of the town of Oyster Bay. Um, but it's a I think it's a, a really a purple district. Um, it's one that you know, in Democratic years goes blue, but in Republican years, it goes red. So this past election in 2021, um, North Hempstead uh, went red for the first time really in 30 years. So it's like local, it, local elections, right? Yeah, local elections. I think that a lot what went on uh, this time around in, in, um, in Long Island is really, I think, a precursor to what could happen in uh, next year in 22. It's very similar to what happened in 2009 and 2010. Um, so as a result, um, it's one of those things that um, we have, you have to look and see uh, where things go and where trends go. But right now the area is trending red. Yeah, it is. I mean, I think a lot of suburbs, we saw it in Virginia, they had, you know, the statewide races there and, and I think the Democrats and Ashley are concerned. I mean, Phil Murphy almost lost in New Jersey. Um, what was it? The, uh, one of the most powerful members of the New Jersey state Senate lost to someone who had like $250, uh, spent on the campaign. So, yeah, it's, um, you know, Terry McAuliffe in Virginia. I, I, I what I tell people is Long Island is owned by the Republicans, but for the past, you know, couple decades, Democrats have been renting it. But this year, the rent came due, the Democrats defaulted, and the Democrats got evicted in both Nassau and Suffolk County. You know, upstate a little bit less so, you know, Monroe County um, is going to have a Democratic legislature for the first time. Mm -hmm. uh, in Westchester, George Latimer won overwhelmingly. Um, but in the suburbs down south, you know, you had a significant shift back towards the Republicans. So it'll be interesting to see what happens um, next year. 
But, you know, all trends seem to indicate that it's going to be a really tough year for Democrats. Yeah. And uh, and so that's in the back of the minds of every single elected uh, Democrat, at least those in somewhat competitive districts. Right. We've got a governor's election between Hochul and Tish James. There's, you know, I, guess, Williams. I guess, yeah, Jemani Williams and then uh, Bill de Blasio. But really, you know, the race is shaping up between tish who is the current ag and kathy hochel now with that election that that election is in june right i mean that the the election is in june it's the primary election and when i say that i mean that most likely you don't see a republican win statewide in new york actually all odds i mean the democrat candidate would really have to to fuck up right in order for that to happen so um so that shortens the timeline now what is that? You mean? know, I, look, I will tell you this, you know, first of all, it's awesome. We can use profanity. So that's good. Yes. Um, excellent. So we can put an E in this podcast. Uh, <laughs> you know, look, I think that I, I'm not so quick to say a Republican can't win in New York State. Mm-hmm. George Pataki went one in 1994. Um, I was a first year law student in St. John's or a second second year law student in St. John's. Um, and George Pataki came out of no, nowhere and beat Mario Cuomo. Do I think Lee Zeldin can beat the Democratic candidate? I think it'll be hard. Um, you know, there's a lot. There's a lot to say about you know Congressman Zeldin. You know, some of which is you he will be tied to the June the January sixth uh, vote not to certify Joe Biden's election. I think that people are going to hear a lot about his ties to Donald Trump and make the campaign about Donald Trump. But the flip side is that elections aren't about former presidents, they're about current presidents. Mm-hmm. And if you have inflation at a, at a staggering number, if you're able to uh, make this election about uh, parental rights in schools, if you're uh, about to make it crime, if you make it about bail reform, I think Republic, a Republican candidate, um, you know, with Donald Trump not on the ticket or not on the ballot, um, can present a very compelling case to independent voters in the suburbs. And, you know, We'll have to see, um, you know, where where things shape up. So, I think if if, if the Republicans take the playbook from Virginia, um, and if they can either turn Lee Zeldin into somebody like Youngkin or find their own Youngkin to run instead of Zeldin, it, it I think it's a very different um, a very different campaign come uh, June through November. But hey, yeah, listen, yeah, I I get what you're saying. It. it it's going to have to be a campaign, right? This isn't, yeah. you know, Eric Adams versus Silva, right? I mean, this is, it, yeah, would, be, yeah. it would be a campaign, but I mean, I mean, you know, I don't think there's any reasonable expectation that especially Lee Zeldin, you know, um, sympathizer for, for the insurrection is going to, to win. But, but let me ask you this though, if he does win, yeah. what is that? Does that matter for the cannabis program? Yeah, I don't think it does. Um, a, a couple, a couple of reasons why I, I don't think it does. One is, I'm gonna one. I'll take the assumption that the Democrats control the state legislature, even if Zeldin were to win. I think that the way the seats are going to be redrawn and redistricting, I think the Democrats will always have, you know, a majority of the state uh, of the seats in the New York State Senate. Two. I believe that each of the terms are three years, and so I think that the members of the board will stay on. Um, and plus they need Senate confirmation. So you cer- I can certainly see a scenario where if let's say within, you know, near at the end of the terms, the, go- you know, the chairperson and the two new members from the governors get selected. 
I could certainly see having negotiations to ensure that any type of selection is going to be somebody who's going to be supportive of cannabis. And three, I think what's very interesting, and I don't think that cannabis is, is going to be anything close to any type of election issue. I think you know, you're even starting to see down in Washington, D.C., where the, you know, the introduction from Nancy Mace the other day on legislation involving decriminalization is you are starting to see, I think, this as an issue for both sides. You know, the banking on, on the banking side of things, there's a recognition from both parties that we have to address the issue. I think that's caught up in other types of Washington politics. But I think that you're starting to see you're seeing the recognition that cannabis plays a role. Um, will it be descheduled? I don't have that answer, but I think, you know, you're looking across the country, a number of red states are starting to get comfortable and starting to see legalization. Um, I think a Zeldin win or a Republican win will not um, impact cannabis to going backwards. I think it, it'll only go forward, but they may, you know, tinker around the edges to ensure, for example, you know, you know, better, you know, other types of business practices. I mean, the, the legislation is a very, um, you know, socially progressive piece of legislation mm -hmm. as it should be. I mean, could I see, you know, it get tinkered around the edges to address certain things, you know, have, with someone having a different viewpoint on, on the social progressive side of things, maybe. Um, but I think cannabis in New York is here to stay. I think that, you know, the licensing will continue. Um, look, you have licenses issued, you know, according to the news reports in the next administration. Um, but I, I think it's going to be one where it's, you know, all systems are going to be a go, regardless if it's a Republican or a Democratic administration. And look, at the end of the day, I would peg, you know, a Republican chance of winning in New York State is very low. But again, it's a year. That's a lifetime in politics. Yeah. Anything can happen. Um, and so it's a lot of it's wait and see. Well, you know, and, and I'll tell you what, though, the interest, if if a Republican, if Lee Zeldin or whoever else uh, does win, their path will be through the suburbs. Right. Yep. Um, and so I can see, you know, when you say around the edges, tinker around the edges, which the edges mean a lot for those in the industry. I mean, I could see a tightening on the you know, packaging front, you know, maybe there's a push against edibles by the parent teachers association, you know, th these kind of things are very conceivable. And I think it's, um, just something to, to keep in mind. I, I do think yeah, I th to, to go back to it though. I think, you know, I, I, I'll flip the question. Let's put Zelda now in the picture. Does it matter if Tish James is the governor or Kathy Hochul is the governor? No, I don't think so. No, no, I don't think so. I think, look, I think, I think, you know, Governor Hochul has done an incredible job, um, you know, and I think we have to agree things were languishing under the prior administration. Mm -hmm. um, you know, we can all, you know, have our guesses or hypotheses as to why Kathy Hochul came in, commit was committed to the program and, you know, really has put deeds behind, you know, actions behind her words. Um, it, obviously, you know, I think it's all agreed upon that there's some frustration that the length it's going to take, you know, you know, why we haven't seen proposed rules and regs yet, you know, it, you know, the amount of time it's going to be between now and let's say opening dispensaries or more importantly, issuing some licenses. I mean, that's a lengthy time frame. Um, as somebody who served in government, I appreciate, you know, the hard work it's going to take. I mean, look, you're staffing up a new agency yeah. that takes time. I mean, it, it, this stuff takes time. And I know, it, you know, it's like, there, it's funny. Oftentimes you say, I want to run government like a business. Well, you know, yes, but in something like this, it's heavily regulated, you know, regulated, 
we want to run, have it run like a business too, but you got to be careful and you have to do compliance and you have to make sure that everybody, you know, the I's are dotted and the T's are crossed. And they stakeholder so that, feedback. Exactly. I mean, look, you want to be able to say, you know, you want to be able and on behalf of yourself and your clients say, look, there's a, we've seen X, Y, and Z happen in other states. Don't make those mistakes or you should duplicate those efforts. Same, you know, on my front. So I think that Hochul, James, Giovanni, I don't think it really matters which Democrat. I think it's, you know, full speed ahead. Now, but you were you were there, you know, for a term. And then actually the one thing I didn't get to was that you lost by 451 votes, which is an unbelievable. I was there for two terms. I was there for two, two terms. terms. Two terms. Okay. You were there for two um, terms. Yeah. So you've seen the budget well, process. And obviously, you know, you've been involved in politics, um, you know, from the government relations and the lobbying side. So how does a a primary election and an election year, a tough election year, an election year where, you know, you were there at the 2010 midterms. How does that yeah. change how Albany operates from a legislative perspective? And how does that also cycle all the way through the executive agencies, such as the Canvas Control Board and, and the Office of Canvas Management? That's a, that's a great, those are outstanding questions, like, you know, breaking them apart. You always want to say that, you know, you know, elected officials say, you know, there's a time for politics and time for governing and, you know, you want to keep them separate. It's impossible to do that, mm -hmm. right? So obviously there are elected officials who have endorsed Tish James and her run for governor who are state, you know, members of the state Senate and the state in the state assembly. And, you know, you would like to think that they will be able, you know, they will have to work extra hard to try and, and accomplish their goals, you know, uh, with a governor's office that of a governor that they're not supporting. Um, you know, when I was there um, in 2009 and 2010, you know, we didn't have that problem because it became very clear when I was there that David Patterson was not going to be the candidate um, that was eventually going to be Andrew Cuomo. Um, so I was kind of tough on David on a number of issues uh, uh, on the former governor you know, because, one, because I knew he wasn't going to be the candidate. And two, I just thought he was, you know, taking things in the wrong direction. I mean, did that come back to hurt me um, during the budget process of, of 2009, 2010? A little bit, you know, there, it, it, it made it difficult, um, you know, but it, it's, it's a balance that you have to kind of find. And there are ways to, there's a ways to maneuver it uh, because politics is always moving. Politics always changes. You know, you know, it'll be interesting to see you know, the budget with respect to, you know, the Office of Cannabis Management and the control and the, and the CCB, right? You know, there was an expectation at last year's budget that a significant, there was going to be revenue that's coming in to, uh, into the state budget based upon, uh, you know, applications and, you know, licensing. And that clearly is not going to happen this year, yeah. um, and except the fact that the budget year goes through March 31st. So maybe, you know, I don't think it's going to happen. I mean, by some miracle, maybe you get some revenue in through license applications, but I think you and I both agree, we're not going to see rules and regs in place, you know, for, for this budget. No. And, and how do you skip a right. two, two public comment periods with that too? Exactly. You can't, it's definitely gonna be two public comment periods, right? So, so um, I think that what you're going to see though, and I think it, it, you know, it's, I think if I were advocating, I, I would certainly advocate for additional funds for the office to ensure that it's robust enough to address what's going to be a very heavy number of applications that are coming in mm -hmm. and a lot of pressure to review and, and approve applications in a very short time period. And so with that said, um, you know, I would hope 
and I would expect that, you know, the board and others, and especially in the state legislature or in the governor's office, you know, fund it, you know, with a sufficient amount of money so they can have that staffing available. They're going to need it, right? They're going to need it for application review. They're going to need it for enforcement. Um, they're going to need it for, uh, you know, marketing. They're, they're going to need it for a number of reasons. And you're going to want to make sure that you have a strong, healthy, vibrant department that's going to make, because there's sufficient money to be made and op real opportunities because everyone recognizes that the New York marketplace is surrounded by markets that already exist. Massachusetts, you know, New Jersey's coming, mm -hmm. you know, New Jersey's ahead, you know, Connecticut will get up and running at some point. Um, but, you know, as if New York can build a robust board, I mean, a robust office, you know, with sufficient funds behind it to ensure that the applications get timely processed and these companies get up and running and they have, you know, and they have the monies available for folks who want to do them, you know, who, who need the support, um, you know, you, you'll get, you know, X number back in, in, in the investment. And I think people will appreciate that, but that's going to take work. And they need, you know, the industry needs to have champions to do that. It, it's not, you know, a lot of that, there was a lot, obviously a lot of a lobbying effort to get murder passed yeah. um, now. And, and so those folks have, everyone's dissipated away. Now everyone's kind of like sizing up, like where do they want to go? You know, you know, outreach into the community and all that good stuff. Well, you know, it's just as important for those associations who are involved in getting murder passed now should be involved in getting, making sure that there's enough money and sufficient funds in the, in the office to, uh, to support what's coming, what's going to be. Well, know, that's interesting on the funding. Dumb. Right. And, yeah. and, and absolutely agree. Now, what about tweaks and changes, right? So, you know, it was a different administration that negotiated murder, yeah. right? Yeah. And so you have controversial issues that come from that administration, such as the cultivation THC tax, right? Do you think yeah. there'll be an appetite by the legislature to change it? I mean, you know, you also have, you know, like Senator uh, Jeremy Cooney in Rochester, yeah. who had fi yeah. just filed a 280E bill, filed another bill. Yeah, saw it. Uh, so, so, so there is, so there's legislation out there to, to tweak it. Right. And I mean, certainly if Jeremy Cooney's running a close election, he's definitely going to want to say that he helped, you know, change some things, maybe bring some more business to his district. And, and there's, you know, senators and, and assembly members across the state who are also looking to get in involved in that. So do you think there'll be appetite to actually change the bill too, potentially in, in the budget? That's where you and I come into play, right? That's where we're, that, that's where how we how we mm -hmm. play a role in assisting our clients. I think that we have to educate members, right? And it's important because we we have to draw attention. We you know the industry has to draw the attention and stay vigilant on elected officials, um, particularly because there is this lull period, right? You know we're we're looking at. You know, we can all guess on how long the lull is going to be before a proposed rule or reg comes out. Um, but in you know, the legislature is, is turning its attention to other things. Jeremy, you're right. Senator Cooney, I, I give him a lot of credit. He's and he's been really in the forefront um, on these issues. I think he also had a couple bills that he introduced a couple months back. Uh, correct me if I'm wrong. That were about like trying to get you know provisional licensing. Yeah. Right. Yep. I mean, he. I give him a lot. I mean, he is a really good rookie senator. Um, I, I've been really impressed with the, I'll call it the freshman and sophomore members uh, of my former body um, who really are thinking on a whole bunch of issues. But Jeremy, to his credit, is really, you know, you know, hitting on some some points. And, and the tax issue is one, you know, that I think requires a lot of education. I mean, th these are things that members need to be educated about um, and then critically 
you know, the administration needs to be pushed, right? And you're probably going to get the pushback from the financial folks, you know, you know, and the budgetary folks on this. I mean, this is that bill alone is going to have to be worked up over the next couple months because that's a real budget bill. If it doesn't get done with the budget, it, it's a type of piece of legislation that, you know, the, the administration could use as an excuse if they were to veto something yeah. like that. Um, they'll say, well, it's not in the budget. We have to be. Because it's got a I mean, fiscal note attached exactly, to it. Yeah. Exactly. Um, so, look, I think that it, it's one that, is there an appetite? You, sometimes you never realize you're hungry until the food's in your in, in front of no, you, right? Good point. You know, it's like, let's put it in front of them and say, look, this is why you have to be hungry for it. And uh, the next, you know, the next thing you know, you get people, you know, to advocate it. And I, 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 Jeremy's a very good senator. He's going to work very hard in that conference to get people to focus on it. When was the last time, have you ever seen something like this where you have a new industry and new marketplace formed? And uh, do you have any parallels, any examples over your, your time in politics here in New York? Well, I'm not old enough. I mean, I, I'm, I'm too young to remember, you know, the Volstead Act and pro, the end of Prohibition. Mm-hmm. So I can't give you that one. Um, you know, the only thing I would try and compare it to, and you really can't, but I remember being in the state legislature and we were dealing with issues on ticket scalping and making, you know, ticket resale. Um, but even then, I mean, that's not, yeah, that's not really good. It's not really licensing cor- across the state. But the Craft Modernization Act, uh, you were, I think, well, I think that came in Cuomo's first I think it term. Came after, that, that was after I think I was done. I think, I think the, but if it was, if I was there, it was, it, we, we passed it, but I wasn't there with the implementation. I think that was after. Gotcha. Yeah. It's an interesting, I mean, example, you know, so the, for the listeners, the Craft Beverage Modernization Act essentially, you know, um, opened the door for all these, you know, small breweries, microbreweries, you know, distilleries, distilleries, yeah. the wineries, they're also serving to the consumer and everything like that. That really opened the door to, for that, right? And I think, um, yeah, the real challenge, though, I mean, look, the challenge we have is, and and you see it upstate, downstate, around, is really educating contemporary, you know, my contemporaries to be very clear that a dispensary is not a liquor store, or not a, or not a beer market, or some, or a Seven Eleven, you know. The challenge is, is I've, I've gone to these and I've heard and watched these opt-out meetings yeah. and it's, it's remarkable how uneducated, not that the folks aren't smart, but how uneducated they are about what a dispensary is and what a dispensary looks like, right? And it's as if, you know, it's as if they say, oh, it's gonna be so easy to get it. It's like, really? I'll be happy to hop in a car with you and drive you to Massachusetts. Let's go up to the Berkshires. And, you know, go right over the border. Let's go into, I mean, this, it is a fantasy land. If, you know, you are, you are not in, you know, a reality when you're, when you're talking about it. And so, you know, when you talk about the craft and the distillery, you know, it's just as easy for a, a miner to go into a liquor store in certain areas, present a fake ID to somebody who will look at it, not do a scan. Yep. We'll just look at it. So he sounds great kid and take, and take the money. And so, you know, I think what becomes really important, and it's hard, right? It's it's really hard, but it's it's important, you know, between, I mean, look, we only have what, 45 days left, not even, you have 45 days before the end of the opt-out, right? And there's a number of areas that still 
are, are haven't taken the action yet. And I think we're all watching very carefully as to whether or not they do. But after December 31st, I think it's incumbent upon folks in our industry to go back to a lot of these places who've opted out and really do an education process. Yeah. It's very, it's very easy for them. And as a former elected official, I get it. It's like, oh, we don't know anything about the rules and regulations. So therefore we're going to opt out because we can always opt back in. Well, you know, I think we have to do a better job in, in educating people to understand, you know, what, you know, what a dispensary or what onsite looks like, feels like, um, but more importantly, how they will be real important contributors to, um, to a community because liquor stores, and this is always, and this was in, an interesting battle that I got involved with when I was in the state legislature was wine in grocery stores. Mm. And I was actually a, a, an opponent of expanding wine, the sale of wine into grocery stores. And I viewed it as because liquor stores play a important role, both if you are a connoisseur of wine, you want to be able to go into a place where somebody is educated, who can you know ed- help educate you about the type, the, the differences of wine. You walk in and saying, I'm going to have um, roasted lamb tonight. What's the best Cote de Rhone yeah. I can have? You know, when you walk into Stop and Shop, you're not going to get that. You may get two bottles of it. Well, but the fact is, is that if Stop and Shop has it, the liquor store that was next door is going to be likely out of business because the volume. Exactly. Right? Well, and it, exactly. Right. And the liquor stores right. and every liquor store I ever dealt with when I was self distributing uh, our, our hemp infused wine were family owned businesses. Right. They're family owned businesses. And, and these are, and liquor stores are like, pillars of communities yeah. they sponsor the little leagues they're active members of chambers they they play an important role particularly in small new york communities can't you know our you know folks in the cannabis industry need to start being prepared to be that way as yeah. well you have to be part of that community and you know and that way you can educate the community as look here are all, all i mean here are all the safety features you know, here are, are, are all the, the features that we will ensure that ensures that miners don't, you know, obtain this product versus, again, my 19 year old. You, know, you ask my 19 year old where he buys his beer. He'll tell you name you the five places within a 15 minute walk yeah. of where he's buying beer. Right. We have to do, I think, a better job in going into communities that have opted out to get them to rethink it and rethink it quickly um, because. At the end of the day, they need to realize that they're going to lose significant tax revenue. Well, if they miss out on the first round of licensing, there might not be another. Exactly license. right. Yeah. Exactly, and they're going to miss out on a good community partner, yeah. right? Somebody who is like, we want to be part of this community. We have something to offer, not just what we're selling, but who we are. And I think that gets lost because, unfortunately, you know, it's an industry that it, drug dealer. I mean, that's the easiest thing for them to say, and it's that's not right. And I think more has to be done about that. So I think. I'm hopeful that there folks will think about that, you know, after December 31st well, uh, and not simply say we're done until like rules. Yeah, exactly. Well, and, and help me understand this, right? Because, and, and you have a perspective, you're in the heart of opt out territory, right? And, yeah. and, and honestly, you know, rightly or wrongly, Nassau County Democrats were blamed for not being able to get uh, cannabis across the finish line in last summer, in the summer of 2020, we looked at and did analysis. And then right after the election, in New Jersey, because New Jersey in 2020 had on the ballot, um, and it was a great, it was a great judge of where people, how people felt about the issue, because you had 2020, the highest turnout election year ever, right? Um, in New Jersey, it didn't matter the county, whether it's Essex, you know, which is you know deep red, 
or Bergen County, which is this, you know, very similar to Nassau in terms of demographics, right? You had overwhelming support for legalization of cannabis, right? And when you pull the issue, you have overwhelming support. So what is the political calculus in these areas, in these towns to opt out when the constituents, when the constituency overwhelmingly, I mean, two to three, right? You know, two, th- I mean, two thirds support being able to buy cannabis in the community, cannabis consumers. What, what is it? Like, is it, is it, is it really just these personal held beliefs or is there some other political calculus here? Is it squeaky wheel gets the grease? I mean, walk us through what's really going on here. Yeah, I, I think, um, it's, it's interesting. I think what you have going on is, is Long Island has, you know, it, Long Island is the home of, see, Nassau County is the home of three towns. Suffolk's the home of four towns. But within those towns, you have, I think, I think Nassau County has 64 villages. I can't remember the exact number of villages in Suffolk. And then you have like a couple cities in, in, in Nassau County. You know, these village governments are made up of you know, they're not professional elected officials or professional politicians, so to speak. They are you and me, and they are primarily older, you know, longtime residents who are giving back to the community, who I think are naturally more conservative, lowercase c, not politically conservative party, but conservative in nature, you know, and, you know, have unfortunately you know, grown up in a world where what they know about cannabis is it's a gateway drug. Now, look, I'll be, I'll freely admit, like my evolution on this issue um, is one of when I was in the Senate, I was supportive of, of medicinal, of, of medical. I wasn't there for the Compassionate Care Act, but I was supportive as a senator to the idea of legalizing it for medical purposes. You know, for my, for selfishly, my mom was, uh, you know, a, I got in my start in politics. My mom was elected official. She died and I won, ran and won her office, but she had a 14 year battle of breast cancer and would have loved mentioned to me a number of times that she would have loved to have been able to use, you know, legally access cannabis to help alleviate her, you know, the side effects of chemotherapy, but couldn't. And so when I was in the Senate, you know, I certainly expressed my support to members of my conference on the issue, but it wasn't going anywhere. It was too, it was premature. Um, you know, a lot of forward thinking, you know, has not occurred at the local level. They are still, unfortunately, here in Long Island, stuck a little bit in, in a, a thinking of it's a gateway drug, it's going to be accessible, your kids will get it, and all these things. I mean, what they lose sight of the fact, and I think what's not articulated well enough, is guess what? If you, you know, the town of Oyster Bay basically drew a compromise, said, okay, and the town of Brookhaven did suffer roughly the same thing. We're not going to allow it in the downtown business districts. We're going to put in industrial parks. Okay. You know, so you won't be able to walk down, you know, down the street in Syosset and walk and walk into the local, you know, dispensary. But if you, you drive into an industrial area, you'll be able to, to access it. Fine. What you lose sight of the fact is I know what I'm going to do. I'm just going to start a delivery business mm. and I'm going to put the delivery business in North Hempstead. Yep. And I'm going to run over across the border to the local industrial park and get go to my, you know, dispensary, pick it up and, you know, go elsewhere. Or, or, you know, if I'm an RO and I get one of my RO, you know, adult dispensary licenses, I don't know if, if you share this interpretation, we can have it. I read Murda. I don't think opt-out affects the ROs if they open up an adult use. Am I wrong in thinking that? Well, that's a good, that's a great question because it's a co-location. 
right? Correct. So it doesn't extend Correct. to the medical dispensaries. And, but, right. Yeah. And I read, and, and, and as a lawyer, the defined term of the opt-out is the adult use dispensary. That's not the defined term that defines an a, a RO adult use dispensary. It's a different term. So I can a different license. I, yeah, it's a different yes. Yeah. yes, yes. And so if I already have a medical dispensary in the town of North Hempstead in downtown, pick the location, why couldn't I do a co-location at that site, right? And all of a sudden, you know, do I have to pay taxes to the local village that I'm located in? Maybe not, maybe, mm. you know, so I think where, you know, where what's going on in Long Island is there's not a lot of education. Um, a lot of these villages have acted, I think, prematurely or quickly. Um, and, you know, Oyster Bay is an industrial zones, Brookhaven's an industrial zones. We're all still waiting to see what North Hempstead does. Um, I think I, I think Hempstead opted out, but I, I, I haven't checked recently. Um, I think Riverhead is in. Um, so you've got some places that are that are in. And if I start a delivery company in North Hempstead, folks are gonna still, you know, you're still gonna have it have it accessible and people are still gonna get it, you know, get it. And all North Hempstead is gonna do is lose the tax revenue. Yeah, and I mean, you, like you said, the opportunity to have a true community partner. Correct. You know, Correct. and jobs too, jobs yeah. in that, and that job. area. Yeah. Without a doubt. Yeah. It, it, and jobs that benefit, by the way, folks that, are, you know, are in need of, of real economic um, opportunity. Yeah, absolutely. And so it, it's always completely, I'm completely dumbfounded on, on that decision-making process to opt out. I mean, I do understand the fear. And then also, you know, their their response is, well, first off, that there isn't rules and regulations, so they don't know how things are going to go, which is kind of, I think it's kind of a weak argument, but then also I think the strongest argument they can make is, well, we can opt in at any time. So the incentive is really to opt out. Yeah, I, I think you're right about that, but what they lose is the opportunity that if I am, all right, I'm going to start a dispensary and I've got, you know, you know, eight former, you know, professional sports stars who are going to, you know, who, who are going to, and why they are interested in Long Island because they all played for New York sports teams and lived here and loved the area. And I'm going to pump in, you know, they're, they're raise a lot of money and they're going to be like, yeah, I, I can open up a fantastic dispensary that, you know, really blends into the community. And we want to be, you know, invest in the youth sports and we want to invest in the park system and all that stuff. Oh, wait, I can't go here. Forget it. You know, Oh, wait, you know, two months from now, we're going to opt back in. You know, I've already moved on. I've already gone up to upstate. You know, I've already gone to Hudson Valley. I've gone to Fredonia and you know, they're opting in. I'm, I'll go there. I mean, I think that it's short-sighted and look, Murda gives you, it doesn't tell you a lot, but you know, look, a little bit of research in what New Jersey has proposed, a little bit of research of what's going on in Massachusetts. You know, what's you basically know what's coming down. Why opt out? You know, again, I think it's it's one of those where village government has decided we're a lot more conservative and we, you know, we're just going to make this step. I know at least one village mayor who I talked to who said, 
Craig, I have enough revenue. I was like, how can you say you have enough revenue? Yeah. You know? <laughs> Inflation's going to be huge. Yeah. And I bet, I bet, the, the I bet, I, I bet the residents there that have to drive down the street and avoid the potholes, like, you know, it's like Correct. A Mario Kart yep. or something, definitely don't agree. Yep. So, you know, yep. <laughs> it's absurd. Um, Hey, listen, Craig. It was it was great to have you on. I mean, I think the, the 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 political conversation here is is necessary because you know a lot of entrepreneurs are looking at this purely from a business perspective, and they're a little confused on you know the intersection of politics here, where it's like, well, I thought we got the bill passed. I thought you know politics yeah. go away, but they don't. They don't. They amplify yeah. it, if anything. I think, and especially look, you know, the, the greater challenge becomes um, what's interesting. Also, is what these villages don't realize, or maybe they don't want to realize is at the end of the day, all right, you maybe won't get a dispensary, but I've got a cultivation idea. And I, you know, that warehouse down the road, I'm putting a cult, you know, I'm, I'm putting indoor cultivation. You can't stop. There's nothing they can I do. mean, There's nothing they can right, do. Right. I mean, they can do the zoning, they can play with it. Right. But at the end of the day, you know, you get good counsel, you get um, community groups to say, we think this is a really good idea. We're going to create jobs. It makes it harder and harder. And so something's going to come if they if if a business wants to be in a location and, you know, and they're able to do processing or manufacturing, it's going to it's going to happen. And I think it's important. Look, this is going to be a real job opportunity for segments of the population that haven't had that opportunity. And people should be excited about it. Absolutely. Well, if you don't already follow Craig Johnson on Twitter, it's great. LinkedIn. Right. And anywhere else you want people to find you, Craig? Uh, Twitter. Look, they, they have to sometimes, you know, be subjected to my bemoaning about youth lacrosse. But, okay. uh, you know, LinkedIn's always good too. happy to take followers on LinkedIn. Awesome. Awesome. Well, you've been listening to another episode of Empire State of Cannabis. Press the subscribe button or else you're going to miss great episodes like this. We come out and then you miss it and then you're upset. Well, don't just subscribe.